the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Georgine Rice program. This is Jason Williams. I am founder and executive director of the Taxpayers Association of Oregon. We've been around since 1999 working to lower your taxes, fight politicians and government corruption. Anyways, it's great to be on the Georgine Rice program while she is away and I want to talk about a, a big issue today. I want to talk about Disney. And, in fact, I want to talk about some of the horrible shows Disney's been putting out. There is one show called Turning Red. It's a movie. It was set to be in theaters this year. But, interestingly, it got diverted from theaters and went straight to Disney Plus streaming service. Something kind of happened on the way. And you know what? This is the most anti-parent film I've ever seen. And it's a Disney film. I think this is just amazing uh, that this movie, Turning Red, and it's geared towards teen girls and preteen girls because it's about a girl as she's 13 years old and as she begins to grow up and become a woman. And uh, so this this movie called Turning Red, it's a Pixar film. So Pixar only makes a few films. And uh, this one did not go into theaters, but it was sent directly to Disney streaming service. And I think it was because parents would get mad at this film. So I'm going to talk about talk about this film, and I'm surprised other people aren't talking about it. Uh, but it's called Turning Red, and it's about a 13-year-old girl who suddenly, at age 13, has the power to turn into a big red panda monster. And it's supposed to be kind of like a symbolism of when a woman or when a girl begins her menstruation. Therefore, and so as the character, this 13-year-old girl, May, as she turns, as she gets emotional, she turns into a red panda. But just to tell you, this is how the film starts. This is the first words from the film, Turning Red, Pixar by Disney. Here we go. The The 13-year-old girl says, the number one rule in my family, honor your parents. Honor your parents sounds great, but if you take it too far, they might forget to honor yourself. Luckily, I don't have that problem. So this film, this anti-parent film, the very first line makes fun of honoring your parents, and it tells you, you really got to honor yourself. This is what the, the, the kid says, and throughout the show, it makes fun of... This this uh, child, her parents, it's an Asian family, so it really makes fun of Asian families, you know, the tiger moms, the helicopter parents. It makes fun of them throughout the whole show. There's a lot of parent bashing going on, and I understand when you make a kid's film, there's always going to be conflict with the parents. But in this show, or this movie, they actually have other kids make fun of the parents. So the other kids will tell this 13-year-old girl, oh, you're a mommy's girl. Your mother is a psycho. 
that's not appropriate for a kid's film to have kids sit there and say, you know, your mom's a psycho. It, there's other things where because this 13-year-old girl may, because she helps her parents, the other kid says she's brainwashed. She's a mother's girl. Others say you just need to forget your mom. And at times the the girl says, oh, what?" when she begins to lie and cheat behind her parents' back, she says, what are they going to do? Ground me, and then they all the kids laugh. So there's a lot of lampooning of parents, but I think it's really bad for Disney to make a film that is that the audience is preteen girls to show other kids making fun of your parents and to have other kids make fun of the character for liking their parents. There uh, and the kids, of course, they spend the whole movie lying and cheating. Uh, eight times they lie to their parents, which, okay, you can have that in films. But here's the climax. So this character, this Disney character, this girl, she learns how to turn into a big red panda, and her mom turns into one too, and there's a big fight scene at the end. And the teenage girl decides to take down her mom because her mom is going crazy as a monster and so she says, I like boys, I like loud music, I like gyrating, and then she begins to twerk in front of her mom, and that makes her mom pass out. She also says, I tried to be a good daughter, but I will never be like you. She screams that in the daughter's – the daughter screams that in the mom's face. This is really inappropriate conversations for a 13-year-old in a Disney movie to be having with her mom, and the mom – after the conflict is over, the mother comes to the daughter, and the mother gives this horrible advice. She says, people have all kinds of sides to them. May May, May May is the girl. She's talking to her daughter. Some sides are messy, and the point isn't to push bad stuff away. It's to make room for it and live with it. What? What kind of parental advice tells 13-year-olds the point isn't to push stuff bad, bad stuff away, but to make room for it. Is that, I, I, I can't imagine. It feels like this is like the, um, I don't know. It feels like, sometimes it feels like the devil is writing the scripts. It's like, don't just ignore bad stuff. Just give into it. The mom further goes on to say, don't hold back for anyone. The farther you go, my daughter, the prouder I'll be. Wow. What kind, what kind of message is that? So this daughter, 13-year-old, is turning into a monster, and she's saying, well, whatever you feel, the farther you go away from me, the happier I'll be. It's really backwards talk. And finally, the final thought. Now, we told you how this movie, Turning Red by Disney, started by saying, don't honor your parents. This is the final thought of the film. And, of course, it recaps her turning into a, a beast. And it says, we have all have an inner beast. We've all got a messy, loud, weird part of ourselves hidden away, and a lot of us never out, never let it out. But how about you? So the the ending message of the movie is just let the beast out. So once again, this is a this is a, a movie about a thirteen year old girl. She is it's a Disney film targeted towards teens and preteens. It's free on Disney Plus. And the message is, don't honor your parents. 
You have them, you have parents being ridiculed by other kids almost every seven minutes in the film. You have mothers giving advice to their daughters to just do what you want. And then you have the daughter saying, give in to your inner beast. I mean, we've got teenagers, right? This is 13-year-old. 13-year-olds are about ready to be launched into a very difficult period where they're going to be pushed to do smoking, drugs, drinking, sleeping around, suicide, depression. It is really cataclysmic, the type of things that if you see, it's off the charts what's happening to our young teenagers. And yet this film, this Disney film, makes fun of parents and it says – Give in to your inner beast. Well, man, Disney, couldn't you just wait? I mean, the whole point between age 13 and 18 is trying to tell them not to give in to their inner beast and just hold out a little bit longer, listen to your teachers, listen to your parents. But this film, Turning Red by Disney, geared towards 13-year-old girls, is the most anti-parent film I've ever seen. And I think if you have Disney+, Plus. Why don't you take a why don't you watch it and just ask yourself, boy, take a note how many anti-parent scenes are in this movie. I think it's horrible. I I I question whether people should be able to have Disney Plus when they look at some of all of this material and why they would target a message to 13-year-old girls that just give in don't don't listen to your parents ridicule your parents. I just think it's just a horrible message. So that's the the movie. Now we're going to talk about some other Disney movies because they redid Pinocchio with Tom Hanks and they also put out a superhero who's the most anti-superhero that I've seen in a long time. Anyways, we'll be back with some more on the other side of the break on the Georgine Rice program. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the Georgine Rice program. This is Jason Williams, executive director and founder of the Taxpayers Association, sitting in for Georgine Rice. We're talking about Disney. And, uh, you know, Disney has become quite political and quite liberal. And with that, I'd have to say, you know, the Disney former president, Bob Iger, was a big fundraiser for Obama and Hillary Clinton. And so a lot of the money from Disney goes to liberal causes. Um, in fact, the their former president, Bob Iger, is actually thinking about running for president. Think about that. Former Disney executive may be running for president, and he wants to run under a liberal banner. Disney, you know, they got involved in the California recall by supporting Gavin Newsom. They uh, took sides on uh, the Georgia abortion bill, saying that Disney was going to pull out from doing films in Georgia because of abortion. A lot of politics. And uh, there was a time when Disney said uh, when Bernie Sanders was floating the $15 minimum wage, guess what? Disney said, hey, we're going to do that. It's such a good idea. We're going to do $15 minimum wage in Disney World. And we're going to lead by example. Well, would you know it? When they started implementing the $15 minimum wage, they had to immediately start firing people in Disney World. And this is before the pandemic. They started taking out all that free entertainment that you saw. You know, you go to the Magic Kingdom and there would be all this free entertainment. They started firing them in droves because they couldn't afford the employees. Then they started get firing all the photographers 
and they replaced them with robot photographers. So if you saw Cinderella, there'd be like a little robot and she would say, oh, just smile in front of the robot camera. And uh, so I thought it was interesting that Disney sat there. It was telling the America, hey, $15, you know, Bernie Sanders is right. You need to do $15 minimum wage. And it resulted in them slashing jobs. And then they had, usually if you're familiar with Disney World, they will do one massive price increase every year. And when they do a price increase, everything goes up. Water, park, passes, every food item, everything goes up at once. Well, after they did that $15 minimum wage, they did it twice in a year. So the idea is that they were trying to make people like Bernie Sanders happy by saying, yeah, we could do 15 and then people lost their jobs, which is one of the reasons why you don't want to raise minimum wage. You don't want to spike it too quickly. So Disney's been coming up with some great films, great as in completely political and awful. We just talked about Turning Red, the movie geared towards 13-year-old girls that teaches them how to – they just stayed up front to dishonor your parents and to do whatever you want. But they redid Pinocchio with Tom Hanks as Geppetto, and they did a live-action remake of it. And you know what? They took all the special parts and just redid them in a flat, vapid way. For instance, what is Pinocchio known for? He's known for, if you lie, your nose grows. Okay? And that's one of the most touching, rememberable scenes in the movie. Well, in this one... Pinocchio stuck in prison, and he lies that his nose grows, but he realizes that if he keeps lying, his nose grows will grow to the point of the other room so he can pick up the keys and get himself out of jail. So in the original Pinocchio, he lies, and he has to go to the fairy godmother and say, help me, and she says, if you stop lying, I will fix your nose. But in the new one, Pinocchio lies as a way to get out of jail out of the cell that he's in i mean what why would you mess with that and then of course in pinocchio if you're not familiar pinocchio goes off to a place called pleasure island he skips school and the 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 theme of pinocchio is that he skips school he goes to pleasure island he actually drinks can you believe this 1940s pinocchio animated thing he actually drinks alcohol and he breaks things with an axe so when he goes out and skips school, he goes out and becomes a bad boy, and then he gets punished for it. And he eventually kind of turns into a donkey. And But in the new Pinocchio, he kind of – he doesn't do anything wrong. He just kind of like gets forced into leaving school, forced to go to Pleasure Island where all this stuff is, and it's all by accident. So they took the, the whole two key points of Pinocchio. It's like don't tell a lie. And don't do bad things like skipping school and because you are going to be, you know, you will have the consequences of it. No, Disney just remade it this month and they took out all the morality messes of it. Now, another movie that Disney came up with is She-Hulk. You may be familiar with the name Hulk. That's the big green guy, fame, one of the most famous, it's the second most famous Marvel superhero, most known around the world. The big green. Uh, for a long time, there is uh, there was a woman Hulk, and uh, she's called She-Hulk. 
And so Disney decided to do a series on Disney Plus called She-Hulk. It's a superhero. And once again, you do a superhero film, all the young boys are going to watch it. And But in this one, they made this She-Hulk very adult. So she uses the F word. And it's like, you know, I never remember superheroes swearing, much less saying the worst swear word you could say. But she says it. And now they cut it. They cut it off halfway between when she says it. I'll give you credit for that. She gets angry at her friend, so she uh, you does the middle finger. Superheroes doing the middle finger. What what's going on here? She Hawk. There's also a scene where She Hawk is happy with her friend, and she ends up twerking. This is you know this is the dance twerking. This is what parents hate when you twerk. Well, She Hawk does it with her friend. Who's her friend? None other than guest appearance by by uh, rap artist Megan the Stallion. Well, who is Megan the Stallion? Well, she is kind of like a shock artist. She is she is one of those artists who tries to be as obscene as possible. And I cannot read her lyrics here on the radio because you cannot even get beyond a few words before. In fact, her this rap artist is so extreme. People like Ben Shapiro and Gilbert Godfrey will do readings of her lyrics because they are so filthy and so censored. For some reason, Disney thought that this really obscene rap artist would be a great person to twerk with with the Marvel superhero She-Hulk. That's crazy. But the whole series, it's a 10-part series, the whole series begins with She-Hulk talking about with a friend, whether Captain America has had sex yet or not. And that that is how this 10-part series starts. And I'm sitting there thinking, now I've, I've watched a lot of superhero shows in my lifetime and I collected comic books as a kid. I don't remember, not only do I not remember superheroes using the F word, I do not remember superheroes using the middle finger, and I do not remember superheroes making fun of other superheroes for being a virgin. And yet, Think about all of the young men and women. You know, I mean, basically, eight-year-old boys and girls are watching this show on Disney+. Plus. They see a superhero that Disney is promoting, and they watch it. You know, and if Disney wants to do adult superheroes where they do adult things, fine. Just make it rated R and put it on a different platform. You're free to do that. But don't mix it in with children what children are watching and children are going to watch it you could put i think there's like a age 12 rating on this disney film it doesn't matter it's in your home kids are going to watch it they don't need to be watching this she-hulk and the the interesting thing is disney put an all-female writing staff on this she-hulk 10-part series and yet this writing staff instead of and I'm so glad that Disney is elevating women writers because I tell you, some of the best writers out there are women and they bring a completely new perspective. But they have brought a superhero that is obscene, that uses profanity, that makes fun of people and their sex lives. This is not something that eight and nine-year-olds should be watching. So take that in mind, what I said with Disney, with Turning Red, Pinocchio, and She-Hulk, three examples of what Disney did this year of terrible examples. Well, with that, uh, stay tuned. we got some guests here on the Georgine Rice Show. We'll see you on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the Georgine Rice radio program. This is Jason Williams. 
executive director and founder of the Taxpayers Association and OregonWatchdog.com. Today for this segment, I've got a fantastic host, State Senator Kim Thatcher. How are you doing? I am doing great. Good to talk with you. Yes. Uh, well, I wanted to get you on, talk about some various issues. I, I do want to hear about what your – it's legislative week down at the state capitol where everyone is assembled down there. But one issue you're expert on is transportation, and people are just waking up late to this idea that Oregon will be doing $2 tolls on I-5 and I-205. And I don't think people know this. They're saying like, oh, they're just talking about it. But it's really happening. Aren't I right? Oh, yeah. It's on its way. They are studying the various ways that they should should arrange the polls, what roads they can be on, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, it's been talked mm. about for a long time, but it is difficult with so much going on, people living their lives, raising their families, and, you know, going to work and all that, that... Now that it's becoming real, there it's kind of late. They're kind of late. But Senator and, Thatcher, but here it is. So, but we've we've already built I five and I two hundred five. What? Why are they saying we got to now pay two dollars to drive along two hundred five? The road's already there. I know, and that has been the sticking point from the very beginning. And yeah. I don't remember even which year this bill passed, but it was a big old transportation package, and they allowed for tolls in it. And that was, it was just kind of slipped in there, and it was cheap, because, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of money attached to it, simply because they were going to be kicking the can down the road and making the people who drove on those roads pay the toll to maintain and or upgrade those roads. You know that there are people that want the tolling because they want to create a in a disincentive to say, hey, there's a lot of cars on the road. We can get them off the road if people have to pay for it. Then it forces them to do bikes or bus. And you've yes, seen there is that. And, and yeah. yes, plus the, the hiking, the gas prices have all been kind of on purpose to drive people to you know, push people, not drive, <laughs> to <laughs> not drive, push people to not drive. So there you are. Yeah, I mean, Kit Sauber once famously said, you can't build your way out of congestion. And it's like, well, wait. You, <laughs> that it goes against you. You build roads to stop congestion. Um, but they but they just, you know, they just come out and they'll say it. Yes, we don't want people to be on the roads. Therefore, we're going to punish them for driving. But as you know, there hasn't been that many new roads here in Oregon. Am I missing something where they built like – a mile or a five-mile road recently? I can't think of it. I cannot think of it either, Jason. I cannot. Nope. And, um, y- yes, it has some of the, um, uh, you know, has some of the ideas that you would like to see happen in Oregon, have they come, have you been able to pass anything or at least suggest, like, this is the path we need to go here instead of, tolls and higher gas taxes and whatnot? Yeah, like, let's focus our money on things that are, are important to people. People want good roads to drive on. They don't want pothole-filled roads that we're seeing everywhere. They want to have good roads, and they don't mind paying some gas tax, but 
it's getting to the point where where is it going? It's going to one percent for art. I mean, we're 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 building things extra additional costs into each and every road project that seem um, just beyond what is really necessary and or what what people want. So there's so much. I, I remember we had a project where we had to build fish habitat. If you don't think that didn't have yeah. to cost to the project, um, putting some log in the water, basically, that's <laughs> what it was. Um, it, it's just there's so much, there's so much attached to road projects now and so many strings attached to building the roads that they just explode in, in cost. I, I think you're exactly right. I think they're thinking, yeah. You're exactly right on that. Uh, as you're talking about, the 1% for the arts is where when the state government does something where they're building something, you have to take 1% and, uh, uh, and put it for art. That's why when you, you – people in the Portland area, you look at the light rail and you look at some of these – most of them are kind of weird-looking art projects. Yeah, well, that co- that may have cost a quarter of a million dollars to put that art project on there or, or $100,000. When you see these art projects, it came out of your gas tax money. And the other thing, too, is the 1%. I think it's the 1% for bike paths where you can't just build a road. You have to take part of the road money and build a bike path, which is fine. But if 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 you're saying that we don't have enough and we have the eighth highest gas tax in the nation, if that's not enough to pay for I-205 and why are the, we then doing two dollar tolls, and why are we letting money go for art projects and, and bike paths? And I, I, so I just want to give saying that what Senator Thatcher has been saying it's right. It's money's going for other things outside of roads, and um, that's yeah. that's unfortunate. Yeah, a lot of it is federal regulation, along with the state doing its own little additional things it likes to do. But yeah, it, it just explodes the cost of, of doing these projects. And, you know, I, you know, I don't mind having a bike path. I think they're kind of nice, um, but it shouldn't take away road lanes. It should not take away lanes for, for traffic and, you know, create more congestion where you're sitting in traffic because you just don't have enough space. Exactly. Exactly. And they, and mm-hmm. by the way, that transportation package Senator Thatcher talked about in 2017, they did include a bike tax. So it's like, okay, we're the first place in america that has a bike tax um but that 2017 package also included raising the cost of owning a vehicle the the title fee um it also increased the cost of trucks there's a certain truck fee that went up 20 percent. there was a payroll tax that was a little small surcharge on your payroll tax if you look at your paycheck you're going to see a tiny little portion it gets taken out of your of your of your wage that goes to transit services. And so this little 2017 transportation package Senator Thatcher referenced earlier, you add up all – and it was a gas tax increase. You do the gas tax, the the wage tax, the – oh, there was a car sales tax in there. So now mm-hmm. in Oregon, people pay a sales tax on cars. There was the bike tax, the truck tax, the auto fee increase, all of that gave the state $5 billion over 10 years. And as, as Senator Thatcher saying, like, where is that money going? Why do we have to go to a $2 toll if the lawmakers just got $5 billion for roads? Well, and have you even 
talked about the road user fee that they're wanting to do and test it out for a while. Oh, yes. Where they will, yes, they will put a little monitor on your car and decide what you owe for taxes for, uh, you know, places you're driving within Oregon. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, they, they were experimenting here in Oregon with instead of doing a gas tax, let's just put a GPS device in your car. And you put this device in your car, and it will follow where you've been driving to know where you've been driving, which brings up a lot of privacy concerns. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it, it was a crazy idea. Well, with that, um, we're going to head to a break, and we want to have one more segment there with you, Senator Thatcher. So we'll ask you some questions on the other side. Thank you for joining us here on the Georgine Rice Program. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Program. This is Jason Williams, founder and executive director of the Taxpayers Association of Oregon and OregonWatchdog.com. We're here to help serve you, and we've got State Senator Kim Thatcher. She's one of the best lawmakers down there. We've actually given her our Thomas Jefferson Award there one year. We were talking about the $2 tolls you're going to be paying very soon on I-5 and I-205 if everything goes as planned. Uh, Senator Thatcher, you're down there in the Capitol and and zooming in. Everyone, the lawmakers, are doing hearings this week and uh, panels. Is there – we always get worried when they're in the state Capitol, whether by Zoom call or in there in person, but is there anything good coming out of the legislative week this week? Well, thankfully, Jason, nothing got passed. It's just informational meetings. But the thing to watch for, and I would recommend people get on to the OLIS, O-L-I-S dot legislature, or excuse me, or OLIS dot Oregon legislature dot gov, and go to the 2021-2022 interim and look at the meetings, and you can actually listen to them. There were... Um, well, yesterday I had the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, and there were a number of other meetings going on around the place. So you're, it's hard to know everything that's happening, right? There's yes. just always so many balls in the air, and, you know, you can't catch them all. So um, we, we did have a lot of hearings about Measure 110, because that's part of the name of the committee now, is Implementation of Measure Ballot Measure 110. We know, uh, I think there's a lot of people with opinions that we, we shouldn't have done that, and I'm one of them. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, let me let me that. just, Senator Thatcher, let me just give clue our audience what Measure 110 is. Uh, voters approved Measure 110, which decriminalized heroin, meth, and cocaine. It basically took the penalty out of it, except for the a small fraction. And then it says uh, dedicate rehab money. For people that are addicts, the state never got around to to distributing the rehab money, but they they basically decriminalize these hard drugs. So now it's become a big disaster, as you see all these addicts on the street. So Senator Thatcher's talking about suddenly the politicians are revisiting Measure One Ten, and Senator Thatcher, what's your take on it, and what they're talking about, and what should be done. I just, I did a little uh, bit of testimony that was spoken yesterday by Professor Todd Corthius, and he is from Oregon Health and Sciences University, and he said, this is what I am pulling up here, he said um, at the hotline, you know, they would issue tickets now to people who are using drugs, so they, they get a, a Class E violation ticket, and there are over 3,000 tickets issued as of 
August of this year. And then they're supposed to call a hotline to be able to get out of having to pay the ticket. So they call, the, the, the hotline received 137 calls for treatment screening, and most of them didn't want treatment. Yeah. Only 1% of those issued a ticket for drug possession, 36 people, requested information about treatment resources. And he says, in my discussions with addiction treatment leaders around the state, not one not one knows of any person who has entered treatment as a result of these tickets. Wow. Wow. I that was pretty revealing. That yeah. is revealing. And I'll, I'll paint a picture. I'll walk you through it. Because basically Measure 110 said, you know, before if you got caught with cocaine, you'd do jail and you might have a 10000 or $5,000 fine. Under Measure 110, which voters Oregon passed, you no longer had to go to jail or pay a $10,000 fine if you did cocaine or heroin. You simply got a ticket that says, well, uh, if you just make a phone call, this is going to sound weird, but I tell you, this is what voters approved with Measure 110. If you just make a phone call, you get you get caught with heroin, you just make a phone call to the attic line, and we will waive, like, I think it's like a $100 fee or something like that. And so when when uh, when we're talking about people not calling the hotline, <laughs> we're we're realizing that Thousands of people are being caught in Oregon for heroin and meth, and the judge says, "Well, you got you just got to call this hotline," and they're not even doing that. So, the whole point of having the hotline was to say, "We don't need to criminalize drugs; we just need to give people a hotline to call." And there is a quarter of a billion dollars of money for treatment. They're not getting it because they're not calling in, and that quarter billion. Uh, was delayed on getting to people. So, anyways, it's it's crazy. So, I'm glad. To, any other insights you have on that measure 110? It's just that what we're, what we're doing is not working. But they did finally get money out to most of what they're calling the burns, and I can't remember what that stands for. But um, uh, that helps. I don't know behavior helps things <laughs> that are yeah. in every county now. And remember back in the day where we had coordinated care organizations put into law so that people who get are you know we're paying through their for their health care um, through either the federal government or state or a combination thereof get to be put into a coordinated care organization so that their psychological needs, their physical needs, you know, various specialties are all coordinated amongst you know the different providers in the organization. So did they use the coordinated care organizations to build these behavioral health things? No, no, they did not. Why? I would really like to know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that is good. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of it. And before measure 110, before we decriminalized heroin, meth, and cocaine, you know, Oregon tried some good ideas. And that one was like, Hey, if you get caught with cocaine, the judge may say, Instead of sending you to jail, how about I send you to rehab? Uh, and it was the threat of jail or a big fine that made people say, yeah, maybe I will go to a counselor and be forced to be supervised. And they created the drug courts is kind of what they were called. Um, but now if the judge can't threaten someone, I don't want to say threaten, but if the judge cannot offer a consequence of – $5,000 or jail time if you are in a crack house with, you know, you've you've destroyed your brain, 
the judge can't offer that anymore because all they can offer is a hundred dollar fine unless of course you make the phone call yeah it's 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 crazy so do you think that your fellow lawmakers are beginning to wake up because there's a lot of addicts on the street now oh it has gotten so bad and, and i think salem's kind of turning into a miniature portland um it's really it's yes. coming down here <laughs> too um yeah i think there's a lot of people believing well okay there's a mixed audience here there are those people that say we need to give the this behavior help now that they finally got the money out the door and we built the whole system without the coordinated <laughs> beyond me. But anyway, now we got the money bailed out the back of the door and we can provide help for people. Maybe it will start making an impact. So that's one school of thought. And then the other school of thought is why the heck did we do this? Look at look at what's happening. It is not working. Yeah, I mean, and I'm waiting for the people who were prepared we're supporting this measure to decriminalize drugs to kind of say, let's walk back a little bit uh, until we find a, r- a right point. But I, I like what you're talking about Salem. I do see Salem kind of coming apart. I know that the Salem city council has had a lot of very progressive people. I really hope it, you know, that these cities don't follow Portland as example, but I see it when I see in Salem and I hear all these examples of, you know, homeless people taking over the streets and that's just really unfortunate. We, that, that hurts people and it hurts business and it makes families not want to walk outside their house. It does. And it's not good to be the people that are homeless either. I mean, I can't imagine yes. <laughs> anybody grew up and said, Hey, I want to live on the streets when I grow up. I mean, geez, that's not good. It's not good to just let people flounder like that. And we need to be pulling together our resources as communities and say, Hey, this is, this is just not something we want to have happen to our fellow human beings. And we don't want the impact from the, the, some of the bad actors that are living amongst these homeless people. Yes, yes. Well, I like how you say that. And some of the solutions to the homeless, uh, we were talking yesterday about how Multnomah County gave $500 gift cards to homeless people. It's like that. that's not going to help people get off the street. And then, you know, Multnomah no. County gives out 5 million free needles. And, I, you know, that the needle debate, it's, um, you know, it's very sensitive, but at some point, those when you give out five million, you know if you walk around Portland, you see a lot of needles. We're running out of time, Senator Thatcher. I want to say thank you for joining with us today, talking about that two dollar tolls that are coming up, and talking about the big measure one ten debate. That is a big issue, folks. We got to deal with: Are we going to keep cocaine and meth and heroin effectively legal here in Oregon, or with the minimal fines? Or are we going to do something about it? Anyways, thank you, Senator Thatcher, and we'll be on the other side of the break on the Georgine Rice Program. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Radio Program. This is Jason Williams, founder and executive director of the Taxpayers Association of Oregon and also OregonWatchdog.com. We are here to uh, lower your taxes and fight for liberty at the Taxpayers Association, sitting in for Georgine Rice. Very special guest today. I've got uh, Republican Governor candidate Christine Drazen, and to give you a little background why this is important, Christine won her May primary, the Republican primary. There was like 13 or so challengers. She came out ahead, and almost immediately after she won in May, they polled her and found her within the margin of winning. In Oregon, you've got Tina Kotek, the Democrat challenger, and a unaffiliated candidate, Betsy Johnson. But, but for goodness sakes, Christine was winning from the very first 
moment she stepped out of the the primary, the left is in panic. They are pouring. I just in the news today, a million dollars in, people are putting money into Oregon. The liberals are because they're realizing they could lose Oregon. And if Christine wins, she not only is just a win for common sense, but we believe it's going to really help with turnout and help races all over the state. Christine Drazen, welcome to the Georgine Rice radio program. It's so great to be here, and it's great to talk with you today, Jason. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes. All right. So, Christine, what are you hearing out there on the campaign trail from the people, and what are some of the best ideas that you would like to see changed here in Oregon? You know, across our state, Oregonians are ready for change. And Mm. we're at this point because of, you know, we've had 10 years of single party control. We know what the other side, we know what the progressive agenda looks like and feels like because we've been living it sort of without any accountability, without any, any limitation, without any balance to their ideas and their vision for the future of our state. This is what their agenda gets us. You know, we now have legalized drugs. We now have rampant crime. We now have, you know, new reports today with test scores and failing schools and COVID shutdowns. This is what single party control or a hard, urban, progressive approach that's imposed on a whole state is what it feels like. And what I'm hearing from Oregonians across the state is this isn't this is not a balanced Oregon. This isn't an Oregon anymore that has any common sense or that respects local control or that recognizes there's a huge diversity of Oregon out there where people have all yes. different kinds of lives that they're living and they and and to live those lives they require respect. And yes. they need government to step back and kind of release the reins again and put government and put government back in the hands of people. And that is what this campaign has been about. It's been about a new direction, leading our state in a new direction, which gives us balance, which gives us the opportunity to have more freedom to advance prosperity across our state and to support our kids and certainly to always do the compassionate and right thing for the people that are struggling and hurting. But right now, too much of one side, too much of single party control has really harmed our state. Yes. And that's why we're even in the polls. That's why this race is now a toss-up is Oregonians themselves are choosing. They're, they're making decisions to say this hasn't been good enough. We're going to consider something else. Yes. And as you were referencing there, Christine, about the dropping of the education standards, uh, Oregon was only, I think, of two states that decided to say we're going to lower what it takes to get a diploma. So you, don't, you no longer have to get a mastery of reading, writing, and math. You were there during that debate. You voted against it. What were the, what was the mindset of the people that were passing that? I thank you because you stood up for parents. Cause I have not met a parent that wants a watered down diploma for their for their child. Yeah. What was going yeah. on when that debate was happening, and what were you thinking? It was hard. It was hard to listen to that debate, honestly, because it was. It, it felt like they were abandoning our kids. Yes. They had all kinds of excuses and all kinds of reasons why these tests, these tests, these testing itself is somehow uh, racist, that it's historically racist and therefore testing is bad. The, the reality of that of testing in our education system is that it is intended to help teachers do their job and understand where students need help. 
and yes. understand how they can provide the interventions and the supports necessary to get kids at that point in their education where they are mastering these subjects. If you abandon testing, if you abandon standards, you abandon accountability, you aren't helping anybody. This isn't this isn't going to help that student achieve their best possible future. But the conversation on the floor that day had an awful lot to do with the students that weren't succeeding in these tests and somehow it was the test that was bad. Yeah. Nope. And, that's not how it is. Yeah. And Our now system isn't serving all kids. They said so they, they dropped standards for all students in order to protect the marginalized, but now that the results are out that those minorities, yeah. their test scores, well, their reading levels have fallen even further, so it failed. You mentioned about crime. I, I, I saw you during the debates when they were on. You were talking about how is it we've come to the point where law enforcement is the victim and the criminal is, you know, is basically the one being protected. What are you hearing from people and from law enforcement on crime? Um, people want to feel safe in their communities again. And the whole defund the police movement, Portland was at ground zero for that. Tina Kotek was, you know, Tina Kotek and Kate Brown were, were leading were leading those efforts to um to begin to, you know, view police like they're the criminals and criminals like they're the victims. And defund police was a big part of that. And now we recognize, I think across across the political spectrum that that was that was a terrible, terrible decision. Yes. And even in Portland, they're beginning to restore funding. And we've got to see more police officers in our state. We've got to see more police officers on, in our communities and on our streets. That's how you achieve safety. That's how you uh, restore order. That's how you ensure that criminals are held accountable is by supporting law enforcement, fully funding law enforcement, making sure that they're out there, keeping people safe every single day. And across the state, that's what people are asking for. And um, and I am I am excited and, and ready to ensure that our police are supported and that and that we do have more officers on the street. Well, that is appreciated. Oftentimes, law enforcement has a quiet voice in the Capitol. They're more quieter than others. Um, but uh, yeah. And as I, I was mentioning yesterday with, with Tina Kotek, your opponent, one of her top staffers was arrested at one of the Portland protests. I was at that Portland protest as a reporter and. You know, it was people were throwing Molotov cocktails. It was just it was just insane. And so Tina should have been on the side of of law enforcement, um, but but she wasn't. Uh, What's a good way people who are want to get excited and and to help out? What's a good way for them to contact your campaign? I welcome I welcome support in this effort. This is going to be a team effort to pull this across the finish line to lead Oregon in in a new direction. It's going to take Oregonians choosing to win, choosing to stand together for better for our kids and our businesses and our families. And they can find me and volunteer and get more information on my campaign at christinefororegon.com. And that's the location for all things campaign related. And we're knocking on doors and we're making phone calls and we're putting the signs up and we're in the home stretch of this race. And I, I would welcome the help and the support. It's going to take all of us to get this done. Yes. Yes. And just to let you know, as, as I said, I'm with the taxpayer association, of Oregon. This is how Christine has said no to taxes. Christine said no to the largest tax in Oregon history, the cat tax. She said no to the carbon tax, which some said would increase gas prices by 72 cents, like a 72 cent gas tax effectively. So she said no to the carbon tax. 
And she said no to the $5 billion road package, which, as we talked earlier with Senator Thatcher in the previous segment, that's what helped create this $2 toll that is trying to be pushed on I-5 and 205. So it's like, look, you cannot get better, folks, with what Christine is doing. I thank her for being on the program. Uh, I ask you, do what you can. Take a look. She has been doing everything right. She's standing up for law enforcement. We appreciate that. Thank you, Christine, for being on the program. Thank you so much, Jason. It's just been a pleasure. Okay. And we'll be more here on the Georgine Rice Radio Program after the break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Radio Program. This is Jason Williams, Executive Director and Founder of the Taxpayers Association Oregon and OregonWatchdog.com. Sitting in for Georgine Rice. And we are talking a lot about politics here, and we just got done talking with governor candidate Christine Drazen, who is looking like she, by the polls and by fundraising, ahead and can win. This is now just electrifying Oregon. Uh, The fact that Christine Drazen may win as governor, as the polling suggests, is now people all across the country are now beginning to send money here because they really want Oregon to win. And usually Oregon and the progressives are sending money throughout the country, but now they're having to ask for money around the country. And they just, there was a progressive group, the uh, Democratic Governors Association, that just gave a million dollars to Tina Kotek because they're afraid of losing Oregon. This is, this is insane. We've never seen this type of scenario in my lifetime where suddenly – being a uh, conservative and being normal, uh, that Oregon may have a big revolution at the ballot box. So I thought I'd call in my friend, Angelina Sanchez, head of Timber Unity, to join me to talk about what's happening here in Oregon. Angelina, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I just, full disclosure, I have a headset on, I'm on Bluetooth, and I'm actually working my truck and construction job, so I apologize if there's any background noise, but she, happy to be here. See, we, we caught you in true character, because let me explain, <laughs> with Angelita Sanchez, when she's head of Timber Unity, you the, the our audience may remember, right before pandemic, about all these thousands and thousands of people rallying at the Capitol against higher taxes, against the carbon tax. You saw a complete convoy of timber trucks. It was like you'd never seen an outpouring of patriotism and public protest as you've seen. Well, Angelita was part of putting that together. She was right there at at the head, the leader. And now the work that you have done, you stopped the car, you stopped the the, the, uh, (laughs) – Um, carbon tax, that 72-cent gas tax, as I like to call it. And now here we are. Uh, Oregon is changing. I think we've had enough. And, in fact, you actually saw the uh, Christine's opponent, Tina Kotek, at a rodeo. This is how bad that the uh, Democrat challenger is. She's a super liberal progressive. But she actually put on a cowboy hat and a full Western outfit and tried to act like she was country at the Pendleton Roundup, but I don't think it worked that way. Am I not right? (laughs) Uh, It completely backfired, and it was quite comical, and she stepped right into it, so we appreciate her doing that. Yes, yes. In fact, someone was saying (laughs) she was even wearing her cowboy hat on backwards. Um, Uh, Yeah, it was pretty um, unbelievable. 
And uh, when she pulled up right in front of Timber Unity booth, she actually jumped off the wagon and hightailed it out of the parade before it was even over. So, you know, she was just there for a quick photo op. We actually believe she hates rural Oregonians. Uh, We actually believe she hates our way of life. She said a lot of negative things about Timber Unity, even doubling down as of yesterday, um, slandering the hardworking Oregonians of the state, and we just cannot take one more um, hateful thing from that far-left extreme regime yeah this needs uh, to get christine drazen elected uh this really is a this has been punishing for rural oregon because uh, first of all the the liberals they did redistricting where they would not allow lawmakers in rural oregon uh, members of the other political parties to participate in redrawing the political boundaries which they did to favor their own political party so they silenced rural Oregon with that. They hit you with all kinds of taxes. They hit, man, that largest tax in Oregon history, the cat tax, that wiped out Bymart pharmacies. They put a full-page ad saying, we can't afford to be in Oregon to have pharmacies, and the cat tax is responsible for it. Um, what are some other ways that, I mean, you, you're dealing with rural Oregon people all the time. What are other ways that rural Oregonians feel like, hey, they, they've had it, and that they're just, Salem... The politicians just picking on you guys. We actually do feel like they're trying to silence us and, in a way, smoke us out of our rural homes and drive us to the city because that is exactly what Peter Courtney told us when we first rallied at the Capitol steps. I'm sorry, people, your way of life is over. You're just going to have to move to town and get green jobs. And so um, we're just, we're not going away. We're just, We've had enough. We're fed up. Tire tax, fuel tax, cat tax, health care tax, this tax, that tax. We're just, they've taxed us to death, and we're, we're going to hopefully make a change. I think that Timber Unity was pretty influential the last three years, bringing awareness to what their agenda is. And I think uh, rural Oregonians are finally waking up and believing that we have the power to change the direction. And I, and I pray to God that we come out to vote in droves. I, I think it's going to happen. And I really want to encourage people to turn out because oftentimes people, they just get, they feel like it, you know, it doesn't matter. But actually this, this time, um, because of the situation, Anything could happen, and it's moving in our direction here. And here's another way that rural Oregonians really got shut out was the uh, the timber lawsuit where there was forest land that many rural Oregon counties – land, this is like nearly 80 years ago. They set aside forest land to say you can timber this. You can harvest this land, take the revenue to pay for schools, and replant it. For 80 years, they've been harvesting, replanting it tens of millions of dollars for schools and rural communities. And the environmentalist said, nope, that Elliott Forest, you can't do it anymore because we would rather freeze that land and watch it burn someday, which is what you do if you're not going to allow the the harvesting. But that was also another thing where you just – rural Oregon had something that worked. They had land where they got money from and – the politicians took it away from them. 
Well, if I may, I sat in that timber lawsuit in Lynn County because that's my home county and um, watched the jury decide on the side of the 13 counties to where there was a hundred, I think a hundred billion dollars, don't quote me, but, um, and the state didn't pay it. So we went to appeal it and they denied our request. And now Kate Brown has appointed a hundred judges in her tenure and nine out of the 13 Supreme Court judges where they denied to hear hear the appeal. And so she's done so much damage to the state of Oregon. She's hurting the counties. She doesn't care about Oregonians. She just cares about her will. Um, And that is what we're trying to fight against with Tina Kotek. Um, Hopefully Christine Drazen can become our next governor, and we have been given a golden ticket, essentially, with a freeway race in Tina Kotek, Betsy Johnson, and Christine Drazen. And if we all stick together and turn out in droves and believe that we can take our state back, I believe that we can. And then she can reverse some of the damage that's been yeah. done. Yeah, and you mentioned education. That's another area where the politicians, they lowered diploma scores. And then they refused to lift the cap on charter schools. So parents want to send their kids to a charter school, which is more independent, more flexible, more successful. Some of them are private. Some of them are public char- public uh, charter schools. And yet they won't allow rural Oregonians to go to charter schools beyond the 3% cap that's on there. It's just a, while at the same time they're saying you can't go to a charter school – they lowered the diploma standards. I think that's terrible. Uh, I think they're doing a huge disservice to our children. I actually think that it's a form of abuse to not give them the best education yes. that they're entitled to with taxpayer dollars. And they are not the parents of the children. The parents are the parents of the children. And the parents should be able to decide what school they want to send their kids to 100%. Yeah, as you said, it's like... They're censoring rural Oregon. They have a voice, and they don't want to listen to it. Well, uh, Angelita, hold on. We want to do another segment with you, talk a little bit about some of the other stuff that's happening here in Oregon and about how we can make history at the ballot box. Changes afoot. It's going to be a wild election. Let's talk a little bit more about it on the other side of the break here on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to The Georgine Rice Show. This is Jason Williams, Executive Director and Founder of the Taxpayers Association of Oregon and OregonWatchdog.com, sitting in for Georgine Rice. And we got Angelita Sanchez, Head of Timber Unity. And as I said before, Timber Unity is one of the biggest grassroots group in Oregon. They were the people when you saw those truck convoys, it felt like hundreds of logging trucks rallying at the state capitol and thousands of people rallying. Well, Angelita is the head of that and one of the uh, best voices here for Grassroots Oregon. And now you are very close to the timber, the whole, you know, the timber communities and rural Oregon. We forgot about another issue here, and that is both the wildfires and the blackouts and that they are – once again, there were like six counties that were scheduled for possible shutting off the power because of wildfires. I don't ever remember this happening in the past where six counties had to shut off their power in places. But it seems like – maybe you could kind of tell me just how devastating these wildfires 
and those people that aren't affected by wildfires, now they're being affected by blackouts. Can you talk to us about how that affects rural Oregon? Well, I was one of the counties that was scheduled for the blackout, and my town did have a blackout for a little more than 24 hours. Wow. And thankfully, we were able to, I'm also a city councilor for Sweet Home, thankfully we were able to um, get some generators to power our water distribution center because we only had a couple days worth of water in reserves. We wow. didn't have a generator. Um People were nervous that they were going to run out of water. People were nervous that they were going to lose all of their food. Um, it was kind of a scattered mess. And no, I have never heard of that happening before ever. And I, I think that the power companies have to protect their own, and we have to be able to provide for ourselves. But I, I put that squarely on Governor Brown and the federal government for not managing our forests properly to where the power company has to turn it off to try yeah. to prevent litigation on their best interest. And then the rural Oregonians are the ones who suffer in the wake. So um, it was pretty upsetting for a lot of people in Sweet Home. Um, it didn't last very long. Um, hopefully we can get some legislation to where we're not going to yes. turn people's power off. Um, I've heard rumors about that's possibly coming. I can't be for sure, but um, there has to be well, accountability the, yeah. for forest management, 100%. You can't. I mean, Oregon is forecasting lots of blackouts in the future, which to me is a sign of failure. And as you were talking about with food spoilage, there was, I think it was KATU News that was featuring a food bank, like a charity. It's like, hey, there's a place that supplies food to people, and they were facing massive spoilage um it compounds once you start being over a blackout over a certain period of time this is terrible and the forest policy it's like we're told the environment says hey well, you can't cut down trees so then they say well let's do the clearing of the brush and let's do the biomass and they said no you can't do that either and they say okay well in fact you can't even maintain roads through forest because that we don't want people in forests, so then the roads aren't maintained, so then the firefighters can't get to the wildfires. I mean, it's just one thing after the other that we want to do to stop wildfires, but the environmentalists block us every step of the way, especially with Kate Brown at the helm. And um, you, you can't, uh, blackouts is not a strategy to do. And you, yeah. In my opinion, there's some good environmental policy, but the far left extreme to me is like eco terrorists. They've got people living in fear. There's so much property damage. We can't just let it burn and watch communities and lives destroyed. And even above and beyond that, now they have this wildfire mapping to where people can't even get insurance to protect their homes or their properties. That's just that's gross negligence. That should be criminal. It's really upsetting to people in rural communities who are now yes. saying they can't get coverage. Well, that so, yeah, that wildfire a map has to happen. Angelita, I'll explain the wildfire map. The state released this wildfire hazard map, and it looks like the hazard zone is like much of the entire state of Oregon is in a severe or near severe, and it's like well. <laughs> You're, you're, and of course, everyone who lives in that area now, it's like the insurance is going to be saying, oh, the state has officially said you're in a, a, a fire hazard area. It's like you, you're not helping the state of Oregon. 
you're not helping. If you want to stop firefighting or stop the wildfires, you need to do what other states do, and that is you clear out the fire-prone areas. You keep access roads going. It's it it's that simple. It's that simple. And it, for me, one thing that I like is that um, the uh, those super jets that can drop incredible amounts of fire retardant in short distance in a quick time. It's like we should be buying those. We should be doing everything we can to stop wildfires. But I'm sure you experienced a lot of wildfire damage when it happened in 2020 and 2021 in your community. But it, it it's taken out entire towns off the map. Now, let me just um, – we actually were saved by the loggers in our community. We wow. were in a different canyon surrounded by the two canyons that were on fire, and the resources were spread so thin, the community of Sweet Home – the loggers, the boots on the ground, they came and built fire lines around our town and protected our town. And so we were thankfully came out unscathed, but it's not um, if, it's when. And so we have to get the roads back open. We have to do road maintenance. We have to do thinning. We have to do brushing. We have to have all of these strategies and solutions in place rather than just folding our hands and watching it yes. burn. It's hurting the entire state. It's hurting so, the and, entire state. And not state. to mention the carbon emissions, if they want to go down this <laughs> carbon issue, is like double the amount of carbon output by these wildfires yes. than actually just driving your rig. Oh, so Angelita, they, they would rather have double the carbon just to prove that they were right uh, when they're wrong. But I, look, and a lot of the people here on this audience, you're in the Portland metro area, a blackouts are coming to your area because the other reason for the blackouts is because the state is increasingly relying on solar and wind power. And when you put the grid on solar and wind power, when it becomes – those are very temperamental. They respond to the weather. They go up and down. And when you have a point – this is the reason why California has the blackouts. They got the wildfires where they got to shut – they got to shut down – the power because they don't want electrical units exploding during a heat wave. But they also, when you rely on solar and wind, more of your grid, it means when those go out, when there's, when there's a heat wave, the wind is not moving, uh, you know, so that, or when it's cold, you know, it affects the solar panels. So blackouts are coming to people that live in cities and, this is becoming the new normal, and it doesn't have to be. We have to have a better future, don't you think? Well, I think Oregon's ready for a new direction and ready for a change, and I just urge everybody to vote for Christine Drazen because she's the one that could turn this state around. Those those solar panels and those and those wind farms, I mean, they're fine and dandy, but they aren't exactly green, and sometimes they need diesel generators to make them run, and... They're not everything that it's hyped up to be. So diversification in energy is fine, but we're just not there yet. And those blackouts, they're coming everywhere. I, I'm sure of it. Yeah. And a lot of this is just common sense. You know, we, and of course, the environmentalists pushed us to get rid of coal. We had a coal-fired plant. So we got rid of coal. But, you know, that's one of the things. It's like once they got rid of that coal plant, 
it's it's it, we started seeing these blackouts because that contributed to it. So it was just another little factor. And they well, and think, if I may, real quick, they lost two hundred jobs, I think, at that coal factory, and they had twenty five years worth of coal yeah. in reserves. So yes, it's, and uh, it's not okay. I'll give you another quick example. Then we got to go to our our final break here. But uh, Columbia Steel closed down two hundred jobs. Hey, those jobs are probably going to go to China, where they're going to do the same factory with double the pollution, possibly, and it just doesn't work. Angelita, thank you for joining us here. This has been the Georgine Rice Program. We'll catch you on the other side of the break, and I'll be sharing some closing thoughts. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Radio Program here on KPDQ. This is Jason Williams sitting in for Georgine Rice. I am founder and executive director of the Taxpayers Association of Oregon and OregonWatchdog.com. And, uh, hey, man, we shared some great stuff here today, and I want to amplify it because we talked about how Christine Drazen is running for governor, and she's actually within the margin of victory in the polls. This could be a huge year. In fact, as we we discussed in a previous show, that uh, Oregon has a new congressional district. We went from five. Now we're at six. This new congressional district is brand new, which means there are no incumbents. And so some of the polling shows that uh, on the Republican side that they could pick up two to three congressional seats in Oregon. Can you believe it? It almost seems like someone's making this stuff up. Here we have a governor who – a governor candidate who is um, a conservative, true blue person, and she's Christine Drazen, and she is winning in the fundraising over her liberal opponent – and showing within the margin of victory of winning, and we are seeing congressional seats. Now the big question is voter turnout. Is Oregon going to botch this moment? So I'm speaking to a conservative audience, and I have to say, uh, sometimes conservatives don't always turn out on voter turnout very well. I'll tell you one time when religious conservatives did, and that was 2016, and they really gave Trump uh, a big boost in the in the voter turnout and what happened it blew up exploded every single poll prediction stumped everyone the entire news media was stumped on election night did you know even trump his family described on election night trump sitting watching the returns his face was of awe he did not trump did not even expect it to win but one of the things that caused Trump to win, of course, there was a lot of different voting blocks that came through. But when religious conservatives, when they show up just a little bit more than they do, I tell you, it causes earthquakes. Because not only do when you show up to vote for a president, then do you start voting down the ticket because you showed up to vote. So now you're voting on 15 different races. Well, that year that Trump won, 2016, Oregon had a secretary of state. Dennis Richardson, who was a Republican, it was the first time a Republican took a statewide office uh, in a partisan office in like 20, 20 plus years. And that only happened because conservatives showed up more than they previously did. Now, usually in Oregon, conservatives versus progressives are usually a few points behind. And one of the reasons why there are a few points behind on election night, the percentage of conservatives who actually turn out to vote versus the percentage of progressives turn out to vote um, is a is a problem of late voting. 
for some reason, conservative voters love to vote on Election Day and not before. And this causes a problem for our movement. First of all, I think one of the reasons why conservatives are a few points behind their progressive counterparts is because when you when you decide you're going to vote on Election Day, people forget. And or they get stuck in traffic on their way to the poll or they just say, yo, I'm just they just changed their mind. I think what I think when you have a voting block that decides to vote on Election Day, you're going to have lower voter turnout. It is a real problem for our movement. You probably have never heard anyone talk about this, but it is a problem. Now, it's also a problem because because progressives vote early. Then liberal candidates, when you vote, as soon as you vote, the elections office tells the candidates who has voted and who hasn't. So when liberals vote early, liberal candidates say, hey, I don't need to mail to those people. I need to mail to the people who haven't voted yet. Well, guess what conservative candidates are doing? Because conservatives wait until the last minute. Conservatives have to waste their mailings and their phone call money on people who are already going to vote for them, but they're just waiting until the last minute. So, which if you don't want mail, if you don't want political solicitations, you just vote, just vote, and they'll stop sending it to you for the most part. The other problem is fraud. And I don't think people realize um, when it comes to fraud that when people vote early and all the ballots are held and they're all counted on the same day, and when it comes around election time, that's when the election monitors that are there. That's when the TV cameras are there. But let's say there is a close race. On election night, it turns out that there's two candidates fiercely running against each other, and it's within like you know, 10 votes or something. So then there's a huge battle over the next few days over uh, every single ballot that comes in. There's going to be a fight, and the lawyers jump in and they say, "Oh, we don't, we don't want to accept these ballots." So, if there's going to be voter fraud, it's going to happen, or voter problems, it's going to happen when there is a close race, and it's going to be decided over the next few days with ballots that trickle in, ballots that found here and there. If you turn in your ballot early, you basically are more likely to get your ballot counted when all of the sunshine and the media and monitors are there. But if you vote on election night and you turn in a ballot at the last possible minute, your ballot's going to kind of trickle in, and you're more likely, in my opinion, to be a, a victim of voter fraud. And not so much voter fraud, but when people start doing funny business of saying, oh, this race is going to be decided by five votes, and then the lawyers start challenging the votes that come in. They say, oh, it didn't look like they made a check mark right you know, it's a different type of voter fraud. It's 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 just the a political attack, legal attack that happens. So when conservatives vote late, um, it makes it worse for everybody. And some of these elections come close. For instance, Cannon Beach. We fought against a restaurant tax in Cannon Beach, and it, it was like a six-vote margin. The tax passed. And if only three people would have voted differently, it would have been different. I really want to encourage people um, to do that. The other problem is that, you know, Trump, as, as, as we said, voter turnout was big in 2016. And when Trump ran in 2020, 
I mean, he got was it around seventy million votes? It was the highest number of votes for any presidential candidate in history, except for Joe Biden. And so Trump brought voters out to the polls. But here's the thing. The Georgia election in 2020 was so close, they had two runoff for the Georgia seats. And when Trump didn't win, he changed his message to there's voter fraud, um, you know, there's the elections rigged. And as a result, he, he kind of changed his whole demeanor. And as a result, Georgia held a runoff election after the presidential election. And fewer voters came out to vote, fewer Republican voters, fewer conservative voters. And as a result, the two candidates who were conservative could have won if only the people who showed up a few weeks before would have showed up again. But they didn't because the whole campaign was talking about election fraud and that it's rigged. And when you start talking about that, guess what? People stop voting. When conservatives start talking about election fraud, if you do it in a negative way, people say, oh, well, my vote doesn't count. And I've seen here, you know, I have a very big political blog, and we get people who comment on there saying, oh, it's bad in Oregon. Your vote doesn't count. And they keep saying that almost every single day. And I keep wondering, why do they say that? Is that a liberal sitting there disguising as a conservative telling conservatives your vote doesn't count? I Or is it just a guy who was so burned out and beat up in Oregon, he says your vote doesn't count? I am not against exposing voter fraud. I've been working on that for 20 years. In fact, when 20 years ago when there were 36 voter databases for each of the 36 counties in Oregon, we were advocating to make one voter database in Oregon so there wouldn't be duplicate voters in various counties as they move we help to change that. But I really want to say when you talk about voter fraud, you need to talk about it as a problem that needs to be fixed and not as a problem to keep away voters. Keep that in mind. As I said, this is a big election. Anything could happen here in Oregon. Please vote. And if you're going to vote, vote on time. Don't wait till the very last day unless you need to. If you have your mind made up, vote early and on time. Keep that in mind. Thank you for being here and listening to us on The Georgine Rice Show. We will catch you later. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.